the question for us is not simply what are we going to do, but who are we going to be? Are we going to be the people of God, or are we going to be the people who blow whichever way the wind This is All Things New with Pastor Barry E. Fields. We remember God has put together prophets and priests and kings to accomplish the only vision that God could have foreseen. He's worked in numerous ways. He's worked through David, who has been the rock of God's salvation. He has brought it to Israel. But David, you remember, commits the the grievous sin. And then God punishes him for that, but he also forgives him. And when David dies, he dies in peace because he leaves his soul with the Lord. His son Solomon takes over. The rain comes. Solomon is given a lot of wisdom. But unfortunately, with that wisdom is mixed in with some foolishness, and his reign doesn't end the way that it could have when it began. And so after Solomon dies, the kingdoms are split in two between north and south, and they're often fighting warfare, sometimes against one another, more often divided against other kingdoms, the Assyrians, the Philistines, whoever comes in on any given day. And what God has to do during the middle of this time is he has to send his prophets to proclaim the truth, to declare the word of the Lord. A prophet is not sent to you to make you feel better. A prophet is not sent to you to make you feel good about what you're not doing, what you ought to be doing. A prophet is to declare the truth of God's word. So he sends men like Isaiah. He sends men like Jeremiah, the weeping prophet who declared the word of the Lord even when everyone else tried to get him to stop, even when he was thrown in a well. He tried to quit. He tried to give up, but he said, I can't do it because there is a fire, a fire in my bones. He had to declare it. He sends Daniel, who became not only a seer, someone who could declare the word of the Lord, but he also saw the future. He declared what would happen with Babylon. He declared what would happen with the coming Christ. But I think one of the most unique ministries that God gives in the Old Testament, one of the reasons to read through the Old Testament, some people would discard it and say we're New Testament Christians or we're under the New Covenant, and we are under the the New Covenant. But to read how God is working his way in the Old Testament, how Christ is coming, how the Old Testament is just as inspired as the New, and to see the uniqueness of the stories of men like Elijah, that prophet who went before the king and declared the word of the Lord. When they tried to get the the fire on the altar, the priest of Baal couldn't do it. Elijah looked at them, he mocked them, said maybe the God is gone, maybe he's on vacation, and then he said, God, you show them who is on the throne today, and fire rains down, even though the wood itself was soaking wet. He said one day that it would cease to rain for years because the people had not heard the word of the Lord. Sitting around, checking his weather app, he says it's going to rain three and a half years from now, and sure enough, three and a half years to the day, the rain comes down. Elijah was able to declare the word of the Lord. He wasn't a perfect prophet. There were times when he got down, there were times when he got discouraged, but he knew that God was with him, and more importantly, that he was with God. And when it came time to the end of his prophetic ministry, rather than being taken in death like most of us, the Lord sent what was described as a chariot of fire, like a whirlwind to bring him up into heaven. Just before he went up, having never died, he gave his mantle, his staff, to Elisha, his successor. And Elisha asked for something incredibly unusual. He says, God, I want from Elijah a double portion of his ministry. 
Now, to have a ministry like Elijah is enough to fill the history books. It's enough to see God work in the way that he did. But to have a double portion, you almost wonder if Elisha knew what it was for which he was asking. But he asked for it, and God granted it. So Elisha is able to walk into homes and heal people. Even though they look dead, they live because of God. He's able to declare the word of the Lord with an even greater presence than Elisha. The Bible tells us that when they were at war with the Syrians, in 2 Kings chapter 6 and verse 8, something incredible happened in the ministry of Elisha that I want you to see. It says, Once, when the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took counsel with his servants, saying, At such and such a place shall be my camp. But the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are going down there. The king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God told him. Thus he used to warn him so that he saved himself there more than once or twice. It's the Bible saying several times. And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? One of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. And he said, Go and see where he is, that I may send and seize him. It was told him, Behold, he is in Dothan. So he sent their horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the, servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, Behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. When the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Please strike this people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. And Elisha said to them, This is not the way, and this is not the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria. And as soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha said, O Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. And so the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw Behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. And as soon as the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, My father, shall I strike them down? Shall I strike them down? He answered, You shall not strike them down. Would you strike down those whom you have taken captive with your sword and with your bow? Set bread and water before them, that they may eat and drink and go to their master. So he prepared for them a great feast. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away, and they went to their master. And the Syrians did not come again on raids into the land of Israel. Elisha, who had seen the ministry of Elijah calling out the prophets of Baal, taken as a whirlwind like a chariot of fires. Now, taking that mantle from his predecessor, he's become the successor, and he's asked the Lord for a double portion of his ministry. Aram and Israel are at war. They border one another. Elisha's given this intuition by God as to what the king of Aram would do and warns the king of Israel. 
And so the king of Aram becomes furious when he finds out Elisha knows what's going on before the king of Israel does. He sends chariots, horses, and a great host after Elisha in Dothan. He surrounds him. You can imagine being the servant on that given day. You wake up, you go outside to tend to whatever you've got to tend to that day. Perhaps you're ready to get breakfast prepared. And you look out and you see, surrounded by the hillside in full circle mode, the enemy... And they're not there to make peace. They are there to make war. He's scared out of his mind. He goes back into Elisha and he says, Elisha, you got to wake up. Elisha wipes the sleep out of his eyes. He looks around and he says, what is wrong with you? And the servant says, what shall we do? And rather than picking out from his storehouse of weaponry or getting out his supplies or saying, call down fire from heaven, Elisha almost goes back to sleep. He says, don't be afraid. He says, it's okay. The servant has sounded the battle cry. He's put the trumpet in place. And Elisha says something to him that is incredibly profound. I want you to hear this. He says, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Somebody said it doesn't matter how much opposition you face. It doesn't matter how much the culture is against you. It doesn't matter how much society tells you you're wrong. That one man alone with God is always in the majority. That is, if it's you and everyone else but not God, the odds are against you. But if it's you and God and no one else, God's for you. Sometimes we have this idea, we want to say, we want to think, well, God is on my side. That's never what the Scripture declares. In fact, David says, who is on the Lord's side? Joshua says, choose you this day whom you will serve. It isn't about whether or not you're on, the Lord is on your side. It's about whether or not you are on God's side. And if you're on God's side, you don't have to worry about who's on the Lord's side. The Lord is with them. And then he prays this prayer. Lord, not defeat these armies. Lord, not protect us because we're afraid. He says, Lord, open his eyes that he may see. That's a prayer. And the servant opens his eyes. He looks around him. And he sees these hills full of horses and these chariots of fire, similar to how Elijah had gone up in a whirlwind, all around him. And the army of the Arameans are no match for the army of God. That is the question throughout Scripture. Jesus often talks much more about spiritual blindness before he ever heals, heals physical blindness. And he talks about this idea of seeing and hearing. He will constantly ask the question, will blind eyes see? Will deaf ears hear? Even some of us, we often listen, but we don't hear. We look, but we don't see. We really have no idea what it is that God is doing behind the scenes. So the prayer is always, Lord, open our eyes that we may see. John Calvin said this, angels are the dispensers and administrators of the divine 
beneficence towards us. They regard our safety, undertake our defense, direct our ways, and exercise a constant solicitude that no evil befall us. This is from Billy Graham. Christians should never fail to sense the operation of angelic glory. It forever eclipses the world of demonic powers as the sun does a candle's light. I'm convinced that if God were to pull back the curtain of eternity and we were actually to believe the Bible rather than thinking this happened back then, it doesn't happen today, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities, against spiritual wickedness in high places. If we were able to roll back the curtains of eternity and see Michael, the archangel, fighting on behalf of the God of Israel, if we were to see Satan and his host being defeated by the angels of God, if we were to look around us, it would terrify us to see what was going on. And the Bible says that right in the middle of God's plan, there are the angels. They're there. That God is divinely working in ways in which you cannot possibly see unless you open up your eyes. And better yet, that God opens your eyes. And you have to determine that as you're surrounded by the army of life, or as you're surrounded by the army of dead, or opposition, or family struggles, or whatever it may be for you, you have to decide for yourself, are you going to be controlled by things which are temporal or by things which are eternal? Are you going to live a life that is full of skepticism? Or are you going to live a life of faith? What is faith? It is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. And the Bible tells us that that is exactly what we are looking for. We are looking for things that are not seen. Not horizontally, but vertically. And amid all of the doubts and all of the questions about the church and the society in which we live and the order of God's design being violated each and every day. The question for us is not simply what are we going to do, but who are we going to be? Are we going to be the people of God, or are we going to be the people who blow whichever way the winds blow? Because part of what it means to be on mission is to declare that whatever my circumstance, God is always actively, constantly, never sleeping, working behind the scenes, especially when I don't know what he's up to. And the mission for the church of God is not to direct God what to do. It is to get in on what he's doing and put our resources there. To live each and every day for the glory of God. Here's the thing. Israel's breaking God's covenants. They're bringing about war. And yet they've got a divine warrior fighting on their behalf in spite of themselves if they could open their eyes. They're marching around the walls of Jericho. The walls are coming down. And yet they stop right there because the people are disobedient. Yet he still works through his prophet Elijah. And the Bible tells us that as the enemy came forth, Elisha asked God to blind them. He took them to Samaria, opens their eyes, has the king of Israel set food before them and sends them home. He doesn't even take the time to slaughter his enemies because his enemies are scared to death. And as a result, the war stops. 
There are passages that absolutely fascinate me in the Word of God. One of them is which, be not forgetful to entertain strangers, neighbors, refugees, immigrants, however you put it, whatever your politics. Because then it goes on to say, thereby some have entertained angels unawares. One person said this. They said, here's what an angel looks like. This is from Forrester Church. If angels came in packages, we'd almost always pick the wrong one. Even as the devil is evil disguised as good, angels are goodness disguised. They show up in full scap, in calico, in gingham, in brown paper bags. Jesus discovered the realm of God in a mustard seed, the smallest and least portentous of all seeds. Mustard seeds and angels have this in common. They are little epiphanies of the divine amidst the ordinary. The angels of God are watching on your behalf. And not only are they opening doors of ministry opportunity as the Holy Spirit and the Lord sees fit, they are also slamming doors in your face of which you would otherwise be hard. Not only are they watching over what you do, they are also protecting you from what you ought not. But you have to open your eyes. You have to see the cosmic reality of warfare, that science can account for the natural, but it can account for the supernatural, that all of the explanations in the universe cannot account for the fact that God himself created humanity. He loves. What do you see? Somebody said, without a vision, people perish. Here there is no vision. The people perish. They walked into a church, had that on the baptistry. The church is full of people. People are getting saved. They're going. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Walked in years later. A lot of conflict had taken place. People had gone off. The church had closed down. The w had fallen off the back of the baptistry, and now it read, here there is no vision. People perish. What are you asking God to do? That only he can do. Because I'm telling you, if you're not living that way right now, you're not living the way God wants you to. I wrote this back in 2013, preached this passage. Right before we were getting ready to move into the Family Life Center, you remember we had an epic collapse in an old building right here that we were going to attach to this building. Put us in jeopardy. We had the money in the bank. Uh, pay for what we were going to construct until that building collapsed, and then it added about 600 grand to the project, and we were kind of concerned about the direction that God had for us. So before we started the capital campaign, we went through a sermon series, and this is what I wrote six years ago for what I saw. This is what it says. Can I tell you what I see? I see a church strategically located next to a bridge that is in a position to reach a community in need of God's love. I see a church building a facility that will enable us to reach generations to come. I see a church out in the community showing the love of Christ in order to share the love of Christ. I see a people whom God has designed and joined together in this kingdom work for such a time as this. Then at the end of it I wrote, there are more opportunities for gospel advancement than there have ever been today. I felt that six years ago. I felt that ten times as much right now. 
we went through uh, last week in our deacons meeting, incidentally, I appreciate our deacons. I know there's a lot of bad jokes about deacons out there, but I'm thankful for the, the men of God that we have. It's not the deacons lording it over the staff. It's not the staff lording it over the deacons. It really is a partnership. We're able to discern and discuss, do the Lord's will together, and present it before the people as, as best we know how. But I asked them to go around the room. I asked them two things. I said, one, tell me what you think, you think is going well in our church right now, what went well last year. And then two, uh, what are some things we can do to take ourselves to the next level for the next year? Here's some of the things that they mentioned. So this isn't me with the propaganda. This is what they mentioned. One, they were thankful for the, the music, for the quality. Aren't you thankful for our, our musicians that we have each and every week who can sing old and new songs? And I don't know if you noticed this past Sunday when we had the, the twins up here along with uh, Aaron and Parker, half of the band for at least one song was totally used. Praise God for that, raising them up for Christ. They talked about Sunday school, how they felt like fellowship had increased among several of the classes, both at Hallsville and Crossroads. Last week at Crossroads, we had our highest Sunday school attendance we've ever had there. We thank God. Some of them talked about Wednesday night, and they appreciate the fellowship they can have with their family, moving into class. It's just kind of nice to be able to move during the middle of the week and fellowship with, with whoever's going to come. Some of us talked about the, the tech team and the media ministry and the way that God is using that along with social media to reach out for the gospel, been able to impact people, record some baptism videos. People have come in. One person saw a video, came in the next Sunday, walked up front and said, I don't know exactly what I need, but I know I want what she's got. Talking about a video that we've done. Think about the people that God keeps sending our way exactly when we need them. I think about crossroads and how God has given us a year of stability, a year of growth. 108 people this past Sunday started with 12. I think about the baptisms on both sides of the river, the kids and the teenagers that were baptized here, the first baptisms we've celebrated at crossroads this past year. How thankful I am to see God working in numerous ways. You know what I see in 2019? I see an increase of youth on the march for Christ. Generation Z is now the largest generation of American history, those born in 1995 and afterwards. They're a challenge. They don't know a world in which there's no Internet. They don't know worlds without smartphones. They're connected. They've got attention deficit. They multitask, and half of your conversation, if you go out to eat with one of them, is often spend half the time looking at the phone and half the time looking at their face. I do it with Jacob Johnson every week. It's great. But one of the things that we have with this generation is I am very excited about how they are growing up because they now have the capability through technology and through being connected and everything else to reach their generation and to have an impact that no generation has ever been able to have before. They are the largest generation in American history. They're larger than the boomers. They're larger than the millennials. And this generation that's coming up, we have to reach. I pray that we'll continue with our old building, making that into family discipleship. We've renovated some of the youth space. I pray that we'll do that with the kids and preschool spaces. I pray that we can make this a place where families can raise their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I'm praying for this coming year that God will give us a future ministry base for Crossroads that will be a blessing to the community all over that region, that people will know the name of Jesus. Whether or not they ever set foot in worship, may they know that we love them, we care about them. I think about us how we have opportunities to continue to use tech and media and social media to impact the region with the gospel, whether that's through podcasts or videos or whatever platform that may be. And I want to call our church together as we think about 
this coming year to consider three separate mission trips that I pray you'll go on one. One will be a mission trip to Oneida across the state, something local. One will be a mission trip to Cincinnati to help some church planners there. And we're still working, but we hope to be able to do something internationally this year as well to give you a couple of different options, uh, trips that will be led hopefully individually by each of our pastoral staff. But I pray more than anything, what we need of you this year is we need you to give and we need you to go. We need you to give of your tithe and offering of your resources, but also of the talent that God has given you, of the time that he has given you. We need you serving actively in the body of Christ, and then we need you to go. We need you to go across the street. We need you to go across the river. We need you to go around the world because the only way we will grow is when we give and when we go. It has to be all of us living on mission for Christ everywhere we go, every single day. And when the church will do that, they will pray, God, open our eyes that we can see. Then we will see a work of God unlike anything we have seen before because the presence of Christ will be in our midst. But it doesn't just start with everyone else. It starts with you. It starts with me. When I look to a Savior who has given His all for me and I respond by doing the least I can do, which is to give my all for Him. Open His eyes. You may see. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the broadcast. If you found it helpful, please consider sharing it with your family and friends. For more information, check us out online at veryefields.com.